0: Dee Dee West and this is Broken Limelight. This episode is about Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. It's also going to be about sexual abuse against children in Hollywood, so be advised. Feldman and Haim were both child actors in the 80s. Corey Feldman was huge. He was in Gremlins, The Goonies, Stand By Me. Corey Haim was in big movies too, like Lucas and Silver Bullet. They both were in The Lost Boys as well as License to Drive and Dream a Little Dream. It wasn't long before they were known as the two Corys. Like a lot of child stars, they both have their share of stories about growing up, but these two in particular had difficult childhoods. They were taken advantage of by adults in the entertainment industry, and eventually both Feldman and Haim developed serious drug problems. Before I start, I want to tell you about the book that I was researching for this. I read Corey Feldman's memoir, it's called Choreography, I personally thought it was a great read, so if you would like to do a little bit more research after this episode, I definitely recommend that book. So I'm going to talk about Corey Haim first. This episode is going to be mostly about Corey Feldman with some Corey Haim sprinkled in. There's just a lot more information out there about Corey Feldman, probably because he wrote a memoir. Corey Haim was born on December 23rd, 1971 in Quebec. That's in Canada. His parents were Judy and Bernie Haim. When Haim was a kid, he was pretty shy, so his parents got him into acting classes. One day, he tagged along to his sister's audition, and he was discovered. By the age of 10, he was acting in commercials, and then he got a role in a sitcom called The Edison Twins. When he was 11, his parents got divorced after 18 years of marriage. This was understandably really hard on him. In 1984, Haim made his film debut in the feature film Firstborn, which also starred Sarah Jessica Parker, Robert Downey Jr., and Pete Weller. One day after a scene, Haim gave Pete Weller a compliment on his acting, and Pete Weller grabbed him and pushed him against the wall and just raged on him. Apparently, Pete Weller was a method actor, and his character was an abusive, alcoholic stepfather. He did later apologize for this. In 1986, when he was about 14, he starred in the movie Lucas. Some of his co-stars include Carrie Green, Winona Ryder, and Charlie Sheen. Quick trigger warning, this next part is going to get into the abuse and grooming. Allegedly, Hame started drinking on the set of this movie. Again, he's 14. An adult male gave him alcohol and convinced him that in Hollywood, it was normal for men and boys to have sex with each other. And this man then poured Crisco on the boy's butt and painfully sodomized him. Haim would later reveal this to his friend Corey Feldman. Haim auditioned for the role of Mouth in The Goonies, but he lost the role to Corey Feldman. In 1987, Haim got a role in The Lost Boys, and so did Corey Haim. So this is when they would start hanging out. Now Corey Feldman was born in California. He grew up mostly with his mom, Sheila, and his sister, Mindy. His dad, Bob, was seldom around. He was a musician, and he supposedly toured. It was, like, mostly local gigs. But he was in a cover band called Scream, and he was also in the band Strawberry Alarm Clock. They were the ones that came out with Incense and Peppermints, which was pretty much like a one-hit wonder. And Bob joined that band after that song was, like over and done with so before that though he was in a band called the strange loves they wrote a couple of songs like i want candy and they wrote the song my boyfriend's back for the angels you guys know that song my boyfriend's back he's gonna save my reputation Ayla, Ayla, my boyfriend's back. i don't want to pay for the rice for that song so there you go if you don't know it <laughs> don't delete me for that So this was during the time of the British Invasion, so they formed this band as the girl groups were kind of losing popularity, and they actually pretended to be brothers from Australia. See, they couldn't fake a British accent, so they couldn't be part of, like, the British Invasion. So the three of them made up personas and everything. They called themselves Niles, Miles, and Giles. Corey's mom, Sheila, was a former Playboy waitress. She was mentally ill and got worse and worse as Corey grew up. She was awful to him. She was known to lock herself in her room for like, like a lot, like the entire day and all night. And when she was awake, she was pretty erratic. Later, Corey and Mindy would have two little brothers and they were pretty much the ones that took care of them. Sheila had this habit of going into Corey and Mindy's rooms in the middle of the night and she would pick up a single item off of the floor and then she would just wake them up screaming that their rooms were a mess and she'd open up their drawers and their closets and she'd start flailing their clothes around the room and after their their after their rooms looked like hurricanes she would say clean up this fucking mess she also started fat shaming Corey and calling him ugly and restricting his diet as young as the age of four feldman's sister mindy was a musketeer in a mickey mouse club reboot Their parents did everything they could to get Corey to work right away. By the way, Sheila denies that and says that Feldman was a ham and was always interested in working in Hollywood, but, I mean, his first job was a McDonald's commercial when he was only three, so I don't know how much say he really did have in it at that age. In this commercial, he played a little boy who hopped out of bed and left a McDonald's coupon on the plate of cookies for Santa. Feldman was really excited about this commercial. When he got there, the director was like, today's a very exciting day. You're going to meet Santa Claus. When the moment came, the commercial just showed Santa's hand reaching for the coupon. So they didn't actually have a whole guy dressed up as Santa. They just had a guy wearing a red coat sleeve to look like Santa's arm. And that's all that was in the picture. So Feldman was like, when's the real Santa coming? And the director basically told him he's coming later just to avoid a meltdown from a three-year-old but Santa never came. That commercial did really well, apparently. It aired for eight years. When he was five, his sister Mindy was a Mouseketeer in the Mickey Mouse Club, and she would have to go to Disneyland for a couple weeks a year or so, and his mom sent him with her. While there, he was sitting there and playing in a dressing room, and a casting director walked by and noticed his voice. Corey Feldman's always had a pretty deep and, like, gravelly voice, and I guess the director kind of expected to find, like, like a middle, like an older lady with like smoker's lung, but he found five-year-old Corey playing there. So apparently this casting director had all but given up on auditioning kids who could imitate the voice of a hound dog. So Corey, Corey Feldman, ended up being cast for the role of the hound in The Fox and the Hound. He immediately wanted to play the kid who played the fox, but he was told that it wouldn't happen because recordings are all done individually. He... I guess, really wanted to meet the kids, so this was the second time that Feldman had been kind of let down by Hollywood, and he's only five at this point. Around this time, Sheila would try to lighten Feldman's hair with peroxide in the sink. I mean, she would, like, scrub it into his hair with his face running underwater, and she would tell him, You were supposed to be a blonde. This is who you were supposed to be. As the fat-shaming progressed, she started giving him really strict dietary rules, and one rule was that he couldn't eat until she woke up which sometimes wasn't until 2 or 3 in the afternoon. So one day, he was really freaking hungry, and he thought he could sneak a cookie or two, and he got caught. And she didn't let him eat for the rest of the day. His older sister, Mindy, would sometimes be eating, like, uh, Alphabets, the cereal, and he would ask his mom for some, and she would tell him no, and he would say, well, why can Mindy eat some? And she would say, well, Mindy's not fat. She also would, like, push him to learn songs and practice singing and dancing because she just thought it would be adorable and it would get, get him more work. But as it turned out, Corey was not a very good singer and she made sure to let him know that. When he was eight, he was cast in the show The Bad News Bears. His parents blew through his money. They bought new cars and a new house. But Feldman wasn't allowed to ride his bike anywhere in the new house because it was, like, hilly and dangerous and his mom said that They couldn't afford for him to mess up his face in the middle of a job. She told him, you have responsibilities now. One day he decided that nobody would notice if he grabbed his bike for a little bit, so he went off. And he ended up losing control downhill and fell over his bike end over end. When he got up, he had scrapes and bruises all over his face and his hands and the skin on his elbows and arms was all gone. And there was blood everywhere. When he got home, his mom told him, God damn it, Corey, you're going to fuck everything up. I swear to God if that director sends you home tomorrow, I'll make you wish you were still tumbling down that hill. That'll feel like nothing compared to what I'm going to do to you. So when he got to the set, he went straight to the makeup artist and said, Please fix this. My parents are going to kill me if I can't work today. When Feldman was about 10, his mom grabbed a pair of scissors and a syringe and... (coughs) My bad that startled the hell out of me. I'm so sorry. That was my dog, Jude. I'm not even going to edit that out because I love her. She was just trying to protect me from the mailman. (laughs) Anyway, it's taken care of. Everything's fine. So where was I? So when Corey Feldman was about 10, his mom grabbed a pair of scissors and a syringe and basically threatened to give him a makeshift nose job surgery. She had Mindy help hold him down and Mindy thought this was just, like, a prank, like, they were just messing with him, and she was, like, cackling. But Corey was freaking the fuck out. And then Sheila pressed the scissors up to his face and said, Yep, he definitely needs a nose job. And then she would, like, put the scissors and the syringe at his throat, like, not piercing his skin, but poking in it. Mindy was finally like, Mom, stop it. But she didn't, so Mindy, like, freaked out and she just got up and left the room after Sheila, like, wouldn't listen to her. Meanwhile, Corey's, like, sobbing and flailing his legs trying to get out and Sheila suddenly just gets up and walks out of the room laughing to herself. This bitch is so twisted. One day, Corey got booked to be one of multiple kids in an episode of Mork and Mindy. Apparently, one of the actors fucked with him a lot and Corey got heated one day and punched him. And he got fired. He was terrified of what his parents were going to do. When he got home, his mom told him to take off all his clothes. And she she beat the shit out of him with a solid oak curtain rod. Not a curtain rod. It was more like a, like a, a stopper so that you couldn't open the window. And while she beat him, she screamed at him, How could you fucking do this to me? You know I need this fucking money. I will kill you. I will fucking kill you, you worthless piece of shit. He crawled underneath his little brother's crib and she like, she like rammed the pole at him. At one point he started thinking, maybe she really does want to kill me. And then he blacks out. For the next few days, she would start saying, I'm going to kill you. But she would say it like in a sing song voice, like, I'm going to kill you. And then she'd go on Saturday and she'd wink. And then she would count down the days every day. So on Saturday... Corey packed up his shit and snuck out of the house and he went to the police, but they weren't helpful. He ended up back home and shortly before he was cast in The Goonies, he tried to kill himself by swallowing an entire bottle of aspirin. When the movie E.T. was coming out, Corey Feldman was offered a role playing the best friend of the main character, Elliot. But Steven Spielberg ended up calling Corey personally and he told him that they had to cut his role but he promised that he would be in the next one. When Corey was about 12, he was invited to come audition for The Goonies, which was another Spielberg film. He thought he was in the movie for sure, but when he showed up to his meeting and realized it was like a huge cattle call, he had to audition with a shit ton of other people. In fact, Corey Haim was there auditioning for the role of Math 2, which, as you know, was the role that Corey was going for and would win. But that was years before they would meet. So at his audition, Richard Donner, the director, said to Corey, to Corey Feldman, tell me why you should play Mouth. And Feldman went off on this huge rant about how he can play anybody he wants. He was like, you want a you want a cool guy? I can be a cool guy. And he just went on and on. And Richard Donner tried to interrupt and Feldman just would not let him. When Feldman finished talking, Richard said, well, I'm not going to argue with you. You definitely seem like Mouth to me. Corey Feldman was a huge fan of Michael Jackson's, and when he was in the Goonies, he begged Steven Spielberg every day for weeks to invite him to the set. In fact, there's a part in the Goonies where, like, the the water pipes burst, and Corey Feldman yells, Reverse! Pressure! And I guess Steven Spielberg couldn't get Corey to make the right expression, so he said, Corey, I'm going to tell you something, and then I'm going to say action. When Corey was ready, Steven said, Today's the day, Corey. Michael's coming to the set. And then he said, action. And that take ends up being the one that they used in the movie. So if you've seen The Goonies, you know that there's like a shit ton of kids in this movie. And Richard Donner, he would like make jokes about how he can't wait for this filming to be over and for him to be away from these kids. And of course, he, he said it playfully, like he liked the kids, but he needed a break. So Steven Spielberg thought it would be hilarious to play a prank on him because he was planning on going to Hawaii after after the filming was over so steven spielberg got everybody in the cast tickets and then uh, also tickets for like a plus one to bring on the plane with them for like their guardian and they were going to show up at richard's hotel as so it was like he would get to his hotel for his vacation and all the kids would be waiting there again so Corey, by this point like Corey really didn't have a lot of friends. Like, he, he wasn't popular in school, and he was really excited to be on this set because this was the first time he really, you know, he made some friends. He got to hang out with people his own age and, you know, do normal kid stuff. So he was super excited to be part of this prank. Well, at this time, Corey Feldman was living with his grandparents, and, you know, his grandma was, she. he said she was a saint. She took him everywhere. She was his on-set guardian. But for some reason, his mom, Sheila probably because she wanted to go on vacation to Hawaii, she stepped in and was like, I'm going. So the day that she had to go pick him up for the plane ride and everything, she was super duper late, which was common of her. And Corey was starting to panic, and his grandparents kept trying to calm him down. But finally, it was, like, really freaking late. Like, their plane was going to leave in, like, an hour. And Sheila finally showed up, and she's just like, oh, stop whining. Like, it'll be fine. We're going to make it. So they got there and they like rushed to their gate and right when they were getting there, Corey watched his plane take off. So they were able to get on a later flight, but of course they were too late for the whole prank. Corey missed out on the whole thing and Corey was never able to forgive his mom for that. The movie Stand By Me came out in 1986. It was actually based on a book by Stephen King. Out of all the boys that auditioned, Rob Reiner said that Corey Feldman was the one who could make the character's pain seem believable. He actually said that he could see the pain in Corey's eyes. It was during this movie that Corey Feldman smoked weed for the first time. He actually smoked for the first time with River Phoenix. River Phoenix, by the way, was the brother of Joaquin Phoenix. He also had a pretty messed up childhood. Uh, I'm gonna do an episode on him, too, pretty soon, actually. But, um... He also had a history of, uh, of sexual abuse as a child, and he grew up and developed a drug addiction, and he died. It's kind of heartbreaking how kids like this go into Hollywood, and they're particularly vulnerable to people trying to be their friend. Like, it's really sad that grown men, like, con them into believing they're friends and then use them for something else. The day that Michael Jackson went on the set of The Goonies, Corey Feldman was able to meet him, but he also had to work. So by the time he was able to go back and see him, he had already left. And that really bummed Corey out because he felt like they were destined to be best friends. But Michael actually came back one day and Corey insisted that he had to give him a tour of the set. While they were hanging out, Corey told Michael that he was really bummed out that they didn't get to talk anymore and that he didn't get to see him again, and he gave him his phone number, and he made him promise to call him that night. Later that night, Michael did call him, and they talked on the phone for like two and a half hours. And just so you know, to this day, Corey Feldman still says that Michael Jackson never touched him, never did anything inappropriate with him. So they started hanging out. Eventually, they would be hanging out like every couple weeks, and they started to open up to each other about their own childhood abuse. Michael Jackson told them that even at the age of 30, he was still afraid of his own father. It was around this time that Corey Feldman's mom started giving him diet pills. She would give him two or three pills every morning, and she told him that they were just caffeine pills, but he was pretty sure that they were speed, and he started collecting them, and eventually he started selling them at school. At this point, he had two little brothers who were now toddlers. Their names were Eden and Devin. And Bob was their dad, too, even though, you know, Sheila and Bob had been separated, and Bob was pretty much living out of his car when they were born. Eden and Devin would sometimes run into Cory's room and jump on his bed, and they would say, you're fat, Cory, you're ugly. So it's, it's pretty clear, like, how people talked to him and about him in his own house. Cory was also pretty unpopular at school. Um, he was only known for a couple of movies and mostly the other kids just didn't like him because they thought that he had like a free pass to skip school whenever he wanted. So one day this girl that he thought was kind of cute went up to him and was like, I have a surprise for you. Close your eyes. And when he closed his eyes, she poured something over his head. And basically she had a cup, a cup that had been passed around and a bunch of classmates had spit in it. And that was what she poured over his head. So, Corey went into his grandfather's gun collection, and he loaded a handgun, and he would hold it to his head, and he prayed for the strength to pull the trigger. He kept this in his room so that he could do this every so often. And by this point, a couple of adult males had already tried to befriend Corey, so Michael Jackson wasn't the first. And I guess Corey's grandparents thought it was weird at first, but... Corey convinced them that this was just how Hollywood worked, and eventually they, you know, they believed it. So a guy named Marty Weiss befriended Feldman. Marty was a child talent manager in his 20s, and he told Feldman that he just became friends with Sheila. He asked Feldman if he could hang out with him sometime, and Feldman was like, well, my my mom doesn't let me do anything. But Marty was super persistent, and he insisted that they have a secret friendship. Corey really needed a friend, though, so he would tell his mom that he was going jogging, which was pretty much the only way he was allowed to leave the house, and he would instead go to the arcade or go to the mall or something with Marty. In 1986, when Feldman was 15, he tried cocaine for the first time. He found it in his mom's room. He did it again one day with some some random girl. Um, she was an extra, and he ended up pulling an all-nighter, and he felt great up until like 5 p.m. when he had to be on set. He was apparently having a lot of trouble working, like nodding off and everything. So the director, Joel, was pissed. And finally, he was like, where is your on-set guardian? That was his mom. And he was, Feldman was literally like, I don't know what to tell you, Joel. I saw her last night. Sheila was a fucking mess. Like, She would be seen at the bar hanging over guys, like all drunk, with like cocaine crusted all over her nose. And Corey would just like go sit by himself and sob. Like everybody, like this was in front of everybody. Everybody knew what was going on. Feldman actually got fired that day, but fortunately, Joel had mercy on him and gave him back his job. But Feldman had to get another guardian. His father, Bob, offered to be his manager, but he wasn't able to just drop everything and go to the set right then. So. Corey called Marty to be his guardian. After The Goonies, Bob became his manager and started his own entertainment company. He hired someone to be his assistant. In Feldman's memoir, he calls this man Ron Crimson, but it has since been revealed that this was actually the actor John Grissom. This was a guy who, he worked, in, he worked with Feldman and Haim in Dream a Little Dream and License to Drive. Or, actually, Feldman got him these little cameos in those movies. John and Feldman would hang out a lot, and they found a stash of drugs in Bob's room. And there was all kinds of shit, like, it, this was the 70s, remember? So, there was, like, quaaludes and all kinds of uppers and just a buffet of drugs. So, Ron would kind of, or er, <laughs> John would kind of create, like, recipes of drug cocktails and feed them to Corey. and Corey was, like, glad to take them. Which is kind of fucked up, like, I get that he wants to get high, but... It, like You literally don't know what you're taking. They went to this comedy club called The Store and they saw Ron Jeremy there. And Ron Jeremy was apparently surprisingly nice. He insisted on introducing Feldman to, this, go- to this, <laughs> this girl that wanted to meet him. Apparently she was a huge fan. And she was easily like 10 years older than him. So Corey was like, "Uh, I don't know. But uh, Ron Jeremy was like, Corey, this is one of the biggest stars in adult entertainment, Ginger Lynn. Ginger was 24 and a huge fan of Corey Feldman's. She flirted with him and they exchanged numbers and he said that it made him feel on top of the world. And and again, he's like 15. And like a week later, she picked him up in her Porsche and gave him a blowjob in the parking lot of a movie theater. That's not good. I I bet he loved it, but that's... Don't do that. So one day, John started molesting Corey too. Corey was laying down all drugged up, and John laid down next to him and started touching his genitals. And Corey froze up. He didn't say anything, and I guess he just pretended to be asleep and waited for it to be over with. But this made Corey super uncomfortable, and he was really afraid to lose his only friend. So John kept doing this to him, and he kept freezing up. One day they got drunk, and John climbed into bed with Corey, and he took his clothes off. Cory again pretended to be asleep until John started rubbing his penis against him. Cory tried to roll over from side to side and like kick him away and kind of kind of still pretending to be asleep but bothered but John was persistent so eventually Cory just jumped out of bed and ran out of the place but he still didn't want to lose that friendship. When he was auditioning for the Lost Boys he heard that Corey Haim was going to be in the movie too. He heard Haim's name before, and it was beginning to be a pain in his ass. In fact, Corey Feldman was dating this girl, or so he thought, until she told him all about a sweetheart named Corey Haim. Not long after that, Feldman got a message on his answering machine, and it was from Corey Haim. And basically, he was like, Hey, man, we're probably going to be seeing each other a lot. You want to hang out? And basically, Feldman was like, Damn, he is a sweetheart. So the two of them got together, and they instantly hit it off. They had a ton in common, and it wasn't long before they started talking about how each of them had been abused. Haim revealed to Feldman how he had had sex with an older male on the set of Lucas, and he was like, well, you know, it, this is supposed to be normal among men in Hollywood, so maybe we should be doing this. And Feldman was the one that kind of sat him down and told him, like, no that's not normal. By the way, according to Corey Feldman, the man who abused Haim on the set of Lucas was actually Charlie Sheen. He was 19 at the time, and Haim was 13. Charlie Sheen, of course, denies it, but Corey Feldman and his ex-wife Susie Sprague insist that Haim told them that personally. I've uploaded pictures of Charlie and Haim together just because it's like, it's a lot to see them together. Charlie Sheen looks like he's in the in his prime he's a heartthrob you know like in in the prime of his life and haim just looks like a baby he's just a a boy and he probably looked up to charlie sheen so much as their friendship progressed feldman started noticing that haim had really intense sexual urges he would ask feldman to find him a girl like i need a girl right now i need someone to get me off and he would start pestering feldman eventually to get him off himself and he'd be like Come on, it's normal. And Feldman would just be like, no, man, I'm not into that. But Haim was relentless. So one day while they were hanging out with Marty, Feldman remembered a rumor that he had heard that Marty was gay. And Feldman said, how about Marty? I hear he's gay. He said this as a joke, but Haim looked at him and was like, is that true? And Marty was like, uh, I mean, uh, like I like I like women just as much as I like men. So Hayme and Marty went into the other room, and Feldman could hear them, like, bumping and shit. Feldman instantly felt guilty about this. He knew it wasn't right. But this wasn't the only time he did this, actually. There was an actor who, in his book, he called him Tony Burnham, but that was also a fake name. From my research, and from what I found, and from, and from what many others believe, is that Tony Burnham is actually the actor Dominic Brascia. Feldman said that he met Tony slash Dominic on the set of the Friday the 13th movie. It was uh, the fifth one in the series. Haim's mother, Judy, also said that Brasha abused him. One day, while the two Corys were hanging out, Haim would get one of his urges again, and he started pushing Feldman to call girls over. And Feldman was like, man, I don't know anybody. So he was like, okay, just can you get me off? And Feldman was like, no, man. So Feldman was finally like, okay, I know this older guy. He's kind of fat, not really attractive, and Haim was like, call him over. Before long, Tony came over and the same thing happened with Marty. But then Tony started tagging along everywhere with Haim. During the mid-80s, there was a club for teens that was invite only. It was growing in popularity. Feldman and Haim were both regulars. Alyssa Milano and Alfonso Ribeiro and others from that era hung out there. It was called Alfie's Soda Pop Club, and it was run by a guy who Corey called Ralph Kaufman, and his, bo- his father, named Bill, also ran it. This is actually believed to be a casting director named Alfie Hoffman, and his father, Bob. I couldn't find a lot of information on Alfie and Bob, just that they were father and son, but in the memoir, Feldman says, Ralph used to tell us that Bill was his stepdad, the one who helped him get into business. None of that turned out to be true. Bill Kaufman wasn't Ralph's stepdad. Bill Kaufman was Ralph's lover. Together, Ralph and Bill had been working together, coercing young men into their home. I was just the latest in a series of boys to be groomed. So like I said, these two owned this teen club, and Alfie would become friends with all these famous teenagers, and he would invite them to parties at his place, which was often full of adult men. I have to say something here. Usually I hate when people say where were the parents because I hate when people parent shame and more often than not the kids like outsmarted them. But with Haim, I mean, like Feldman was on his own, but and like granted I couldn't find much information on Haim's parents and I I just don't understand where his parents were during this and where his onset guardians were in other cases, like where where were they while Haim was in these situations. I mean, all the kids hung out at Alfie's, but When he was inviting teens to his parties at his house where there were adult men, even Alfonso Ribeiro, that's Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, by the way, he was the same age as the Corys, and his parents were like, yeah, you can't hang out there. So I just have to wonder. Supposedly, Haim's dad was his manager for a while, so, like, I'd really like to know how present he was. Well, after Feldman had been getting molested by Ron for a few months, or John, he decided he needed a night away and he stayed the night at Alfie and Bill's place. Alfie turned on porn and said, Is this turning you on? Feldman went to sleep, and he later awoke to find Alfie on top of him, just like he had awoken to find Ron on him many times. This time, he was able to deal with it more directly, and he just pulled up his pants and ran across the street to his house and cried himself to sleep. He needed a sense of normalcy, so (laughs) he called Michael Jackson. Believe me, I do see the irony here. He, he's tired of being molested, so he calls up Michael Jackson for some comfort. I, I just want to be clear, I'm not ready to talk about Michael Jackson in depth just yet, so just remember that this is all based on my research into choreography. Feldman says that they hung out and ended up going to Disneyland together. They had a great time, but they were too tired to drive home, so they got a hotel. Apparently, they just had one little tiny room for the two of them, and When Michael noticed there was only a single bed, he called the hotel's reception and said, we're going to need a cot. And according to Feldman, he insisted that Feldman take the bed and he take the cot. Feldman also says that while hanging out, he wanted to record a conversation with Michael. Um, He was trying to get like coolness points at school, but nobody believed that he was friends with Michael Jackson. So he just seemed like he was full of shit when he talked about it. So Michael saw this giant thing in his pocket and was like, what's that? It looks like you have a brick in your pocket. And Feldman was like, oh, it's just a tape recorder. And he asked Michael if he could record their conversation just just so he could have it. And Michael was like, sure. They talked a lot, and they had pretty deep conversations. And um, Michael told him that after this tour that he was getting ready for, he was going to retire the sparkly glove and the dance moves, and he was going to change his whole look, his whole vibe. Corey was like, no, not the glove. So they talked it over and Corey basically convinced him to pull out the glove and the dance moves just when he performed Billie Jean. I'm so glad that was the conversation that was recorded. I would have loved to hear that. Feldman's dad, Bob, again, was working as his manager at this time, and he was making really shitty business decisions for Feldman. Like, basically, he was taking any job out there. He made Feldman do Hollywood Squares, and he was making him audition for some PBS show. Michael actually tried to help by explaining to Bob that these gigs were just for people who were all washed out. It wasn't for celebrities who were in their prime like Corey Feldman. But Bob didn't listen. Feldman ended up firing Bob, and then Bob kicked Feldman out of the house. Feldman called Tony, since he was the only guy who wasn't molesting him at the time. Tony lived in the same apartment complex as Haim, so one day Haim, Feldman, Tony and Ron all ended up hanging out together and doing cocaine. Feldman says that wa- that was for sure one of Haim's first times doing coke, and he felt really guilty for introducing him to drugs. Feldman decided to file for a legal emancipation at age 15, since he can't live with either of his parents at this point. It's a long process, and he had to live with Tony for a while. Bob demanded $40,000 from Feldman, which was, interestingly, just exactly the amount he had. Then he lived with Ron and Ron's mom for a while, and Ron got Feldman to try crack. After a few months, Feldman decided that he needed his own place with a lock on the door. He got his own place, and he let his cousin Michael live with him for free, and Ron would eventually start squatting there too. When he was cast in Dream a Little Dream, he was given the chance to record a song for the film and also choreograph a dance number, so he decided that he wanted to clean himself up. He wasn't ready to quit partying altogether, but he had consciously made an effort to slow down. On the set of The Burbs, Carrie Fisher and Joe Dante pulled him aside and told him that he needed to stop going down this path that he was headed toward. Feldman was pissed and he was like, you don't know what you're talking about because he felt he didn't have a problem. He felt it was under control because he was slowing down already. But only like a month later, he was having a hard time filming because he was all coked out and like couldn't stop twitching and fidgeting and shit. Before long, he got really depressed about a breakup, and Ron got him to start snorting heroin. Still, Feldman was working, and Haim was on some kind of self-imposed hiatus. And according to Feldman, Haim was using a lot of crack at this time. So Feldman went out of town for work, and he decided to bring Haim with him, mostly just so he could keep an eye on him. While Feldman was working, Haim got himself into a bunch of trouble, and all the headlines were saying things like, Two Corey's disappoint fans. He had gone to a high school looking for crack. He commandeered the limo and picked up strangers to party with in the limo. And then he went back to his hotel and trashed it. So Feldman tried to do, like, damage control by doing an anti-drug awareness special, which was super ironic because he was using heroin at that time. But that was where he saw Drew Barrymore. And this was actually their second time meeting. They went on one of those, like, little dates that Hollywood set up, but... He was 13, and Drew was only 10, so they just, like, hung out. But now, Drew was 15, and Corey was about 17. So they got together this time. Corey hid his drug problem from her because, believe it or not, by 15, Drew had already been a recovering addict herself. Things didn't work out between them, and they broke up after just a few months. In 1988, Hayne broke his leg just four days before the shooting for Dream a Little Dream would start, Apparently, he was teaching his mom how to ride a scooter, and she hit a wall and somehow broke his foot. So they wrote that into the script so that he could keep his cast on and walk with a cane and a limp. This is when Haim started using prescription pills. The way Feldman describes it in the memoir is he doesn't know if Haim was abusing these drugs, but he was kind of like playing up the pain that he was in. In 1989, Corey Haim went on the Arsenio Hall show and announced that he was addicted to crack. The same year, Corey Feldman met Vanessa Marshall. The two were totally inseparable, and two months into their relationship, they went to Las Vegas, and they got really drunk, and they started talking about how in love they are, and they got married. And Feldman was super happy. He was totally smitten, and he couldn't stop grinning. And, like, while they're on the, the plane ride back home, it occurred to him that they should keep the marriage a secret so that it doesn't affect his fan base. Vanessa was like, oh, no, that's fine with me. It's not like this is a real marriage anyway. And he was like, what? She was like, yeah, we just did this as a joke because it'd be funny with our friends, right? So, of course, this was like heartbreaking for Corey, but they kept dating. She just wouldn't move in with him. He tried and he tried, but she just wouldn't budge. In 1991, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie came out. Corey Feldman played the voice of Donatello. He was actually addicted to heroin at this time. It wasn't long after that that Feldman was arrested with like 25 balloons of heroin. He was in and out of rehab for a while, but eventually got clean and stayed clean and sober for two years, up until he was prescribed pain medication for kidney stones. In 93, the police contacted Feldman while investigating the allegations against Michael Jackson for sex abuse against children. Feldman was like, what? Like, he was shocked and had no idea what they were talking about, but he did tell them that he had been abused by somebody else as a child. He apparently named Alfie Hoffman and John Grissom, but the police never followed up and they never asked if he wanted to press formal charges. In fact, the sheriff's department for years said that they didn't recall any mention of any men who who may have abused Feldman. But in 2017, the tapes were found and it was confirmed that Feldman did tell the police about his abusers. Corey Feldman got a new girlfriend named Susie Sprague. They were apparently head over heels for each other. One day in 2001, they were invited to one of Michael Jackson's shows. But when they got there and they tried to go backstage, they were stopped, which was weird because Corey, like, he was a regular. He was always backstage. So they got put into this little, like, waiting room. Well, no, Corey did. He got separated from his wife, and he had to wait in this waiting room, and they kept telling him that Michael would be there in a minute. Michael was like, listen, Corey. I know you're going to write this book about me and I know you're going to say terrible things about me and I just have to ask that you don't do that. And Corey was like, what are you talking about? I'm not writing anything about you. Like, Corey legitimately had no intention and had no idea what he was talking about. But apparently Michael and his family just didn't trust him. The day after that was September 11th, 2001, and they were stuck in New York. They knew that if they had any chance of getting out of town, it would be with the Jacksons. So they tried to board the Jackson bus, but somebody was like, sorry, Michael says you guys can't come with us. So Feldman's like, what the fuck? Like, he was stuck in New York just to see Michael. And then I think uh, Jermaine or somebody was like, listen, you guys can come, but you can't tell Michael. If you tell him that I let you come, he'll kill me. As soon as they got somewhere where they could get off and rent a car, that's what they did. At this time, Haim was selling clumps of his hair and his extracted molars and selling them on eBay for extra money. He was in a lot of debt, and he had an expensive drug habit. By 2002, Feldman and Haim had kind of fallen out of touch. They were both struggling to find decent work. They were both getting offers to play themselves in movies, but they didn't want to do that. Corey Haim was also doing some uh, straight-to-video movies, but Feldman wasn't willing to do that. In 2003, Feldman appeared in the movie Dickie Roberts' Former Child Star. Fucking love that movie. I just rewatched it. Feldman initially was like, nope, you can't pay me enough. But David Spade was getting all kinds of stars for this movie, as you would know if you've seen it. And it turned out that Haim would also have an appearance in this movie, and they hadn't seen each other in years. So he ended up agreeing to do it. Shortly after this movie, Haim started staying with Feldman. A couple days before he got there, Haim's mom apparently gave Feldman some charcoal pills and told him to force feed them to Haim if he was ever overdosing. He was like, am I really going to need this? And she insisted. Feldman was approached about a scripted sitcom starring Haim Feldman and Feldman's girlfriend, Susie. Actually, Feldman and Susie would get married on the show, so she ends up becoming his wife, Susie Feldman. And I don't know if it was supposed to be a reality show originally, but that's what it ended up being. They called it partially scripted, but the idea was like a me, myself, and Irene kind of vibe, and it ended up getting pretty dark and... And in the moment. Feldman was really worried about doing this because Haim was apparently a mess at this point. He was totally addicted to drugs and he would just sit around the apartment for months and he gained like 300 pounds. So Feldman told him about the show and basically gave him an ultimatum. He told him that he was only going to do the show if Haim could clean himself up and Haim agreed. Haim went to Canada for a while and stayed with his mom until the show started back up or until the show got started. And when he showed up and got back, He had lost a ton of weight. He was all cleaned up, just as promised. He looked incredible. The two Corys aired on A&E from 2007 to 2008. Like I said, it got really dark and really, really deep. They talked about their abuse. At one point, Haim talks about being abused as a child by an acquaintance of Feldman's, and he accuses Feldman of knowing about it for two years and, like, enabling it. And I have to wonder if this is about Tony slash Dominic. Hame didn't stay clean. He became a mess again. Feldman said he was uncomfortable having him in the same house as his wife and kids. There was an argument, and Haim stormed off. In 2009, Feldman had had a rough year. It was the year that Michael Jackson died, which came as a huge shock to him. And he hadn't spoken to Michael since 2001. He also split up with his wife Susie that year. Haim called him up out of the blue one day after a year of not hearing from him. He told him that he wanted to patch things up. He also told him that his mom, Judy, was sick, so he had moved her in with him. So Feldman and Haim got together one day and hung out again, and that ended up being the last time they saw each other. Corey Feldman was like, good night, I'm going to get some rest, and he woke up and Haim wasn't there anymore. In March 2010, Haim was suffering from flu symptoms for a couple days. His mom, Judy, called a doctor who came and took his temperature but didn't think anything serious was happening. Though he did note that Haim got weak when he was trying to stand and he fell to his knees. On March 10th at about 2 a.m., Judy called 911. The paramedics came and took Corey Haim to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Initially, they thought it was an overdose because the police retrieved a bunch of prescription bottles in his room. He had apparently been doctor shopping and had obtained, like, hundreds of pills. The autopsy concluded that it was not actually an overdose but rather complications from pneumonia and an enlarged heart. I can imagine his body probably wasn't in good shape because of the drugs, though, but it was not an overdose. Feldman did not go to the funeral. He said he didn't want to bring attention to the family or anything. Haim never named any of his abusers before he died. He and Feldman talked about it, and Feldman encouraged him to write his own book, but he just wasn't ready. Judy Haim called Feldman a liar for accusing Charlie Sheen of abusing Corey Haim, She said that Charlie Sheen never touched him, and rather, Dominic Brasha is the man who abused him. Corey Feldman now says that both Charlie Sheen and Dominic Brasha abused Corey Haim. Corey Feldman has spent the last few years trying to bring attention to the problems of pedophilia and child abuse within Hollywood. In 2020, he released a documentary called My Truth, The Rape of Two Corys, and that movie talked more more in depth about the abuse that he and Haim suffered. Regarding Michael Jackson, Feldman continues to say that Michael never touched him, never did anything inappropriate, other than one time when Michael showed him some kind of magazine with pictures of genitals with STDs, which is weird. However, he does say that he believes the victims, and he cannot defend Michael Jackson in this case anymore, Um, and even though he didn't experience it, and it's shocking and hard to believe for him, he listens to the victims and says that he's with them. Today, Corey Feldman is mostly just working as a musician. He wants to get rid of the statute of limitations in child abuse cases. Though he's named some of his abusers, he can't press charges. He says that the statute of limitations has passed, so that the only thing that would really happen if he were to name his abusers is that they would be able to sue him for defamation. So that's it for now. Corey Feldman is still out there. Maybe we'll see him on TV again or something. Maybe not. If he doesn't want to, that's cool. Either way, I hope he's okay. I mean, I know he is. He, like, he he just had a birthday party at Hugh Hefner's mansion. But I hope he's happy. Hope he's not suffering too much anymore. Cases like Corey Hames are so sad, but they are so not uncommon. So many teen actors, particularly from that time, struggled with drug addiction and ended up dying. Like River Phoenix, for one, and another one is Jonathan Brandis. If nothing else, I'm just glad that Corey Feldman survived. I'm glad that he was able to clean himself up in time. Thanks for listening to Broken Limelight. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends. Leave me a review. Add Broken Limelight on Facebook or add me, D.D. West, on TikTok or Instagram. Don't forget to check out BrokenLimelight.com for show notes and photos and stuff and for updates on new episodes. You can also find this episode on YouTube and you can comment on all my episodes there. In fact, I think I'm going to try to add a little commenting function on each of my episodes on the website as well. I'll keep you posted. Don't forget that you can support the podcast by sending a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash ddwest. Donations of $5 will get you a shout-out on a future episode, and $20 will get you a Broken Limelight t-shirt. Thanks again for listening. Bye! Today's episode is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is a monthly mystery subscription box that's truly one of a kind. It's basically like a crime case in a box. It comes with case files, codes to decipher, detailed backgrounds about the suspects and the victims. There's evidence for you to evaluate. It tells an immersive story of a whole crime case from beginning to end. It's kind of like an escape room in a box. You can do this by yourself, or you can team up with a buddy, or do it for like a game night or even a date night. You can take a little break from technology and immerse yourself fully into this box, or if you prefer to be more of a high-tech investigator, you can join online communities and talk to other Hunt a Killer players about clues and stuff. Hunt a Killer also shares part of its proceeds with the Cold Case Foundation, which helps with real-life cold cases. The best part is that Broken Limelight listeners get 20% off of their first subscription box. So get started now at huntakiller.com and be sure to use code broken limelight to get your 20% off.